Okay, today we're going to be in Luke 5. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and the ushers will come down and bring forth a Bible to you. Okay, we're going to be in Luke 5, verses 1 through 15. We saw at the end of chapter 4, Luke shows us some healings and some exorcisms. But here Luke presents now uh, one, another one of Jesus' miracles, and he kind of breaks it up with a miracle done in the presence of some fishermen, which actually precipitates their following him later on as disciples. So let's jump in in verse 1. It says, Now, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. They press against Jesus to hear the word of God. The Bible often mentions that they thronged him. They were so close to him. And they just couldn't get close enough to him. They were hanging on every one of his words. It kind of reminds me of uh, the ads of those brokerage firms years ago. Remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? Everybody's listening to that free legal or financial advice. And even today, uh, many decades later, you still see those commercials and the same theme. When it talks about securities or uh, managing your money, people stop everything they're doing to listen to that advice, right? But it's very important, of course, to have to manage your securities here. But how much more important to have eternal security? Jesus said, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Chenereth, and the Sea of Tiberias, largely depending on who was in control at the time. To get an idea how big the Sea of Galilee is, it's roughly 13 miles by 8 miles. So it's a 100 square mile body of water. Now, those of you who know this area, it's actually bigger than all of South Brunswick Township and neighboring Franklin Township combined. That's how big this body of water is. And that comes into play later. The towns surrounding it, Tiberias, Magdala, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Gergesa. Uh, we'll see more how these towns come into play. Many of you are, recognize some of those, those towns. This is basically a fresh water body of water. It's 100 feet deep. It's pretty deep. And it stands 690 feet below sea level, making it one of the lowest points on earth next to the Dead Sea. Now, this becomes applicable in two ways, as we're going to see later. Powerful winds would sweep down from the surrounding mountains, okay, from the Sea of Galilee, and they'd swoop down. And what it would do is it would clash with the warm air that was rising above the water, and it would cause, cause incredible storms, pretty much without notice. And we'll see that also uh, as we go on. But these great storms, if you ever watch the Weather Channel, you know that uh, the difference in pressure systems and the difference in temperatures can cause these great storms. And the second thing is the geography made it uh, a, a natural acoustic amplification system. So Jesus, wherever he was in that low level, he could speak in conversational tones. And because of the reverberation of the mountains, people would hear from all around. And I know people who have gone to Israel and have practiced that. They tried it. And, and many people can hear his voice. So, um, you know, I have a tech guy so that you can hear me, right? i got speakers over here. But sorry, Josh, if you were there 2,000 years ago, you'd be out of a job. <laughs> Verse 2. It says, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught to multitudes from the boat. The fishermen were done at this time fishing, and they were cleaning their nets. After each catch of fish, or lack thereof, they had to clean the nets of sea debris. And the, the procedure was they would stretch out the nets, 
on the shore, and they would let the sun shine on them, and they dry out the nets. This would prevent rottage, uh, rotting and breakage of the nets. So they had to take care of their equipment. So Jesus seizes the opportunity now to take Peter's boat, to take command of the boat and preach the kingdom of heaven. Probably looking around, empty boat, fishermen are busy, a lot of people around. Good time is any to preach the gospel. And that should be our motto. Do we seize the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ? It's something that we really should be uh, mindful of. Sometimes we think, well, I'm in a hurry. You know, the guy's just pumping my gas. I've got to get out of here. Do we talk to him about the Lord? The person, you know, filling your bags in the checkout counter. People that you meet, you know, in the airport. These are all opportunities uh, to preach the kingdom of heaven. You know, you build that bridge. You talk to them, you build that bridge, and you'd be surprised where the Lord will take you in that. And this doesn't seem to be the first time that Peter uh, met, meet, met Jesus, because in chapter 4 before, we saw that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And if you're taking notes, John 1, 35 through 42, that appears to be uh, the earlier time that Jesus met him. Verse 4. It says, now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I want to kind of digress a little bit and talk about the fishing trade in that area. It was well known, still well known today, that the fish are active at night. And what happens when nightfall comes, they come to the surface and more to the shallow areas, and the fish feed. And different types of net, nets were used. If I'm a fisherman, right, and I'm, I'm wading in the water, maybe chest high, and my partner's out some distance next to me, they had one type of net, which was like a 15-foot diameter net. And between the two of us, you have to be very patient. You'd set the net onto the water very patiently, very patiently, and at the opportune time, the net would drop and it would catch the fish. And around the, the, the perimeter of the net would be like a cord or a pull string. And they would pull the string and it would catch the fish. It would be like a big fish ball. And then they would haul it onto the land or onto the boat. Another type of net was called a drag net. Now, we're going to see later on in the scripture, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven like a drag net. And what a drag net would be was you'd have two guys on a boat. I would be the, the hands, you know, the guy working the net and somebody else would be steering the boat. They were about 16, 17-foot boats. And what you'd have is I'd have a, a partner, okay? Peter and Andrew were partners, and James and John were brothers. You know, they were both brothers, and they were also partners with Peter and Andrew. So I would be in the boat, and let's say, I know it's kind of with these clothes, like you can't really imagine me as a fisherman, but use your imagination. And, and the edge of the stage is like the edge of the boat. So while the boats are being steered in parallel, you'd have this long dragnet, which could be upwards of 150 feet from my boat to the neighboring boat, and they would be eight feet long. And what we would do is we'd dip the nets into the water, and there'd be weights at the end of it, and as the boats moved, it would start to catch the fish. And again, there would be some type of pull string where they would pull the string and the nets would close, and then you'd have to haul literally hundreds of pounds of fish onto this boat. So these are the, types of, the different types of nets that we're talking about here kind of gives you a visual of what we're doing, visual. So here you have this carpenter comes by, and he's telling the fishermen how to run their trade, right? And to add insult to injury, in all, in all intents and purposes, he's telling them the wrong thing. He's telling them, listen, it's daytime now, right? They've toiled all night, and they haven't caught anything. And this carpenter is telling the fishermen to, to set out, right, and to uh, go into, launch into the deep and try to catch the fish, 
Number one, when the sun came up in the morning, the fish would stop feeding towards the surface and they would dive down deeper, right? And number two, the nets weren't designed for deep catches of fish. So you, you kind of got to set yourself up for what's going on here. A few lessons to learn here. Number one, faith. Faith, sometimes you just got to believe, regardless of scientific or empirical evidence to the contrary. You ever feel like the Lord is telling you to do something and you just say to yourself, you know, it goes against everything that I know. It goes against my training. It goes against my experience. But you really feel that the Lord is asking you to do something. And then when you do it, you get blessed by it. And number two, let brokenness lead to blessing. If Peter had a great night of fishing, do you think he would have been receptive to all that the Lord had commanded him? He'd probably be saying, you know, 100 pounds, 200 pounds. I'm doing good this week. Maybe I won't have to fish tomorrow night. But brokenness, let it lead to blessing. Uh, Peter made a living of fishing. A few uh, bad catches in a row could mean that his family would do without it. Another thing to look at is um, sometimes... You know, we, we look and we, some of us today are being broken this very day. We're being broken this very week, this very month, this very year. And just things are going wrong for us. And you say, but I am broken, Lord. I am broken. But are we truly saying in our hearts, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's the key. And sometimes when we really let ourselves go and we let go of our wills, that's the time when brokenness will lead to blessing. One um, side note to brokenness is, you know, God uses brokenness to mold us, to change us, to make us different people. We look at Romans 5. It builds that approved character. 1 Peter 1, James 1, all these different scriptures. But some people never get out of the brokenness stage. It's almost like an idolization of brokenness. You know, in today's society, on on a side note, we're a victim society. We all want to claim to be victims. Turn on any of the talk shows, even the, the Spanish talk shows and the Italian talk shows. You know, I don't know what they're saying, but it looks like they're really sad and they're just talking, right? But the Bible says that in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. You know, we, we shouldn't get caught in the rut of victimization. Even the, the poorest of us in this country live better than three quarters of the world's population. Do you realize that? They don't have criminal justice systems where... Uh, where, you know, righteousness is done, where you, you get compensated. They don't have uh, domestic violence laws, you know. Whatever happens there, anything goes. Healthcare system. Here, anybody can go into a hospital and get taken care of. In some of these other countries, you, you break an arm and you don't have money, your arm is broken for good and it doesn't get reset. So we're really not victims. I want to read something out of Charlie Campbell's book, Answers to Skeptics. He says this, To stop evil and suffering, God would have to stop every act that causes any suffering. To do that, he would have to stop those who cause the suffering. Adulterers, liars, murderers, criminals, fornicators, etc. Wouldn't that mean he would have to put a stop to you too? Haven't you by your own actions caused some of the suffering that exists in the world? Haven't you hurt somebody's feeling? My friend, God has not destroyed evil because he he would have to destroy us. By permitting evil and suffering to continue, God is actually showing the world mercy. That's an interesting perspective. We feel really crummy when somebody victimizes us. But do we ever look back at all the people we've hurt in the past? People we might have ripped off, people we might have gossiped about and harmed their reputation. You know, it's it's always good when it, it happens to us. We focus on that. But we have to realize that we've hurt other people, too. 
I want to read something from 1 John 4.18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So whatever it is we're going through, that can be used as a tool. It's not that God is, is, is trying to hurt us. Things happen in our life. And God could take those situations and use that as a tool to grow us, to give us that approved character, to give us stronger faith. So that's what we should use brokenness for. And then the third point, let frustration give way to humility or obedience. Frustration could go either way. You can be frustrated, and that could lead to anger. It's like the frustration stage. You throw up your hands like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then you, you start, you let it stew a little bit, and your eyebrows furrow, and you start, you become angry. Like, oh, I'm just angry about this. And then the last stage of anger, because anger takes energy, and you can't do that for very long. The last stage of that is bitterness. That's the point in time where you get the ulcer. That's the Nexium moment. You know, oh, I'm just so, it just, you just, you're, you're stewing in your stomach, and you're getting an ulcer. And everything just bothers you. But see, it can go the other way, too. You could take that frustration and say, I'm so frustrated. Lord, I just give it up to you. That's the, that's the best way to go. And that's the, it looks like that's the position that Peter took. It led to humility and obedience. Peter knew that Jesus knew that they were out all night and they didn't catch anything. But Peter had to say it anyway. Master, we toiled all night. But at your word, I'll do what you ask me to do. He had to make sure that Jesus knew how he felt. So I really believe that Peter was frustrated. But he obeyed anyway. 1 Samuel 15.22 says that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. I had this uh, situation once. I was on patrol, and there was a guy. I'm looking out. Let me make sure. Okay, it's nobody here. That's a good thing. <laughs> so I'm on patrol one night, and there's this guy who was just causing problems with the neighborhood. He just was bugging people and, you know, just bad blood. And he just was the, the root of all the problems in that neighborhood. And many officers had gone there. And... You know, they would come and go, and they would warn him and warn him, and then they would leave, and he would do it again. So then it was my turn to deal with this guy, and I'm thinking, that's it. I'm going to lay down the law. I'm going to read him the riot act. I'm going to lay into him, do whatever i got to do to stop this guy because he's a nuisance, right? Um, so I go there, and I'm doing a good job, I think, in my eyes. I'm talking to him. I'm pointing my finger at him, the whole deal, right? And I think I'm doing really good. And the Lord kind of stops me in my tracks while I'm talking to this guy and says, Tell him about my son. Tell him about salvation. And I'm like, not now, Lord. I'm, can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> so he, he's, he's really making it clear to me. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Lord, it's not appropriate. You don't understand. Did you ever say that to God? You don't understand? <laughs> what, what are you thinking? And then I said, I don't even like the guy. And the Lord's like, you weren't very likable either before you were a Christian. So whenever I wrestle with the Lord, he always wins. But I, okay, I, I half-heartedly kind of talked to him about salvation, kind of like Jonah, 40 days and you'll be overthrown. Okay, i got to go. And I told the guy, look, I'll be in the station in a half an hour if you want to talk some more about this. So I took off, not remembering, thinking about what I said. So I go to the station and I'm hanging out with my partner in crime, Marty, back there, and we're talking. And wouldn't you know, a half an hour later, the guy walks in. And I'm like, I was like, Marty, you got to pray, you got to pray. He, he, he's here. I didn't prepare for this. I can't believe he's here. So the guy walks in and he wants to hear more about the plan of salvation. So he comes and we talk to him, we pray with the guy. And do you know that 
you know, I kind of befriended this guy, and, and over a period of, of weeks and months, he stopped bothering everybody in the neighborhood. The problem was solved. So what the police department couldn't do through, through natural means, through what we're supposed to do, uh, the Lord God used me to do something in one shot, tell him about the plan of salvation. Isn't that something? So it just goes to show you the power of God. So listen to God. That's the lesson. <laughs> Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance gained hastily will not be blessed at the end. Uh, this was a reward for obedience. Only the Lord knows, and maybe one day we'll know, how many blessings we've missed out on due to disobedience. Because when you are obedient to the Lord, you do get blessed. But the proceeds from this overabundance of fish was not so that Peter and James and John and Andrew could live luxuriously. Kind of like Forrest Gump. It's not so they could buy the bubblegum shrimp boat. You know what I'm saying? But I believe that this was a provision for the men's families because they were going to be called to be disciples and follow Jesus for a number of years. And I believe this overabundance of fish, obviously this didn't happen every day because their boats were almost sinking. It's not a good way to do business. So I believe that this was a provision for the men's families while they were gone. Where, the, where God guides, God provides. Um, it's just conjecture, but he could have used that money from the fish. To, you know, he could have bought farming equipment for, the, uh, for his family. You know, anything could have happened so that they could have been blessed at the time the men were away. Verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter realizes the full magnitude of who Jesus is at this time. So what does he do? He worships him. He gets down on his knees and worships him. And he confesses, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's confessing to the Lord. As the creator of the universe, Jesus is a mirror to our souls. When we truly... um, look at him, we're confronted with our sinful nature. And it's true for us, too. When we fully realize the gravity of who Jesus is, we realize that we're sinners. He's a mirror to our souls. At this point, you only have two choices of what to do. Do what Peter did, worship him as Lord, or harden your hearts, rebel, and dig your heels in. In Revelation 6, it talks about when the sixth seal is broken. And one of the things that happens is the, the people who are still in rebellion know that the wrath of the Lamb is coming. Instead of saying, oh, boy, here it comes. I had all my chances. You know what, Lord, I just want to give it up to you. What they do is they say, oh, the mountains would fall on us. They hide in the caves so that they would just, they'd rather be destroyed by a rock, a rock slide than just humble themselves and ask Jesus for forgiveness. Isn't that amazing how people can do that? A little uh, experiment. If you go to a party, now it can't be a Christian party, otherwise it won't work. But if you go to an office party or something like that, and people are talking, just start talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Just keep saying the name Jesus. You're going to have, the room is going to polarize. You're going to have people who now all of a sudden, they're listening to you. They, they, they stop puffing on the cigarette, they put the beer down, and they listen to everything that you have to say, the intent. Then you have the other people who are going to be angry with you. This is a party. What are you talking about Jesus for? And they're going to walk out of the room. You're going to polarize people into, into two camps. You know, there are two types of people in the world. It's not black and white. It's not rich and poor. Growing up in Staten Island, I thought there was only two types of people, Italian and Irish. (laughs) Or Italians and those who wish they were. 
Just kidding. All right, listen. I'm, I'm Sicilian. The Italians don't even accept me. Sicilians are confused. We have an identity crisis as Sicilians. Anyway, the bottom line to this one is, you can worship Jesus. It can be through adoration or obligation. It's your choice. We can adore him and call him Lord, or we can do it out of obligation and be forced to bow the knee later on. The Bible says that uh, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You'll either do it forcefully, be forced to do it, or you can do it now happy and let the Lord change your life. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish with which they had taken. When the Lord God does a work, it is astonishing. When the Lord God blesses, it is astonishing. When the Lord God changes your life, it is astonishing. I'm looking around. Very few people know me before I was a Christian. And those of you who do, I can pay you good money to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but, but it's true. The Lord changes lives. That's, what he, that's his business. That's what he does. He's in the business of changing hearts and changing lives. Verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on you will catch men. This is an unusual statement, do not be afraid. These were guys who worked the seas. These weren't girly men. These, <laughs> to, to quote somebody, these were manly men. They had to be mentally and physically strong. We saw that they worked shift work. They were in danger of drowning. They were in danger of um, getting hurt. Uh, they were in danger, you know, they had the danger of storms. They had to haul hundreds of pounds of fish on the boat. You know, heavy fishes. You, can't, you ever see, you know, pick up one of them fish in the fish store. It's pretty heavy. So these guys were hauling hundreds of fish all day, all night long onto the boat. So they had to be strong. So what could cause these men fear? Well, I've seen even the strongest men be afraid to follow God. What if I become a Jesus freak? What if he takes away my freedom? What if he makes me a missionary to Indonesia? People think weird stuff like that. What if, what if, what if? People are afraid to walk up here after service to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior because they're maybe afraid of what their peers will think afterwards. But most of all, people are afraid to lay down their wills to Jesus Christ. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid to lay down their wills to God and let him do with them as he pleases. I remember um, I was talking to somebody recently, friends of mine. I was at the house, and their mom uh, was kind of struggling with, you know, concern about being a Christian, and she wasn't there. So I, I said to her, I said, you know, if God has, if God holds out his hand like this, and he has something so precious in his hand, and it's priceless, you can't buy it, you can't earn it, it's priceless. And God says to you, here, I'm giving it to you. What do you have to do? What, what, what action does it take for you to receive that? To take it. This is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of eternal life. And God holds it to all. The whole world, the whole planet could take that, that salvation if they wanted to. And I said to her, what, what do you have to do to accept that? She said, take it. And I said to her, so why don't you? And she said, I don't know. People don't know. But in their hearts, it's, it's hard for them to conceive of giving themselves over to the God, you know, the God of all creation, the God of the universe. But fishers of men, God used their skill, these fishermen, their patience, their teamwork, their perseverance and strength for the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
Turn to Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There is no relationship on this earth that is more important than your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, all your other relationships will be strengthened through God. There are some people who will rebel, and you'll lose friends, and you'll have family members who think that uh, it's a problem. However, uh, it, it can also strengthen those ties. Through God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, all else can, can blossom from that. Now, just to go to, go to a different uh, portion of Scripture here in Luke 5, continuing back, Dr. Luke now takes us to his first detailed account of healing of a leper. The laws of leprosy were covered in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14. The Hebrew word used for leprosy is sarath, which actually covered a wide variety of skin diseases. It also covered plagues that were on the clothing and plagues that were on homes. Uh, and actually, in some cases, the homes would have to be burned down and destroyed because of these plagues. So the exact word of sarath is, is not, it's, it's a little unclear, okay, but it covers a wide variety of things. Leprosy is now known as Hansen's disease. It's caused by the myobacterium leprae, which is now treatable only aggressively with a triple antibiotic. For years, they tried to treat leprosy with different antibiotics, and the bacterium was too strong. But today, it is curable. It's an aggressive triple antibiotic treatment that you have to take to kill it. It's characterized by light-colored spots on the skin that spreads. It destroys nerves, oil glands, sweat glands in the extremity, causing blindness, numbness, infection, clawing of the hands, clawing of the feet, and crippling, and ultimately death. It's pretty a pretty nasty disease. An, another awful skin disease that's kind of associated, closely associated with leprosy is uh, caused by the myobacterium ulcerans. It's a flesh destroyer. It starts at a spot in your skin and it just works its way through your whole organ of your skin and destroys it, and usually die from infection, because the skin is a barrier to infection. Um, so this is what you have happening here. It's just to give you an idea of what these people were going through when they contacted Jesus. In verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The lepers were commanded to be quarantined, if not completely isolated, by the rest of the population. And this says he, had, he was full of leprosy. So this man was in his advanced stages. The leprous man risked the consequences of entering a city in hopes that Jesus would heal him. Um, just imagine you're him. You know, you're, the blindness would come where the, the eyelids would start to get damaged from the disease, and you'd start to lose your eyelids, and if your eyeballs would be exposed. Without the washing of the eyelids, you would get infection. There would be a film that would cover the eyes, and eventually you just can't see anymore. So this guy probably was walking with great difficulty, his hands were probably clawed, and he's probably going half blind. And he just was just getting, trying to get to Jesus. But was he faithful, or was he just desperate? Who knows? In Matthew 8, in the parallel gospel, it says that the leper actually worshipped him here. God, please help me. I'm just so full of this stuff. I just need you to help me. 
Have you ever been in that position? God, please help me. Leprosy doesn't mean if you had leprosy back then that it was directly as a cause of some sin that you did. But leprosy, like leaven, was a picture of sin in the Bible. It's just like we're kind of, before we come to Jesus, we're like those lepers. We just have it all over us and we can't get it off of us. Every year, people make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit gossiping. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit doing that. And by the end of January, it's all out the window. Because we can't do it in our own strength. But it's almost like we're the lepers before Jesus. We come to him and it's, Lord, I've got this greed. I've got this, this obsession with, with uh, you know, gossip. I've got this obsession with whatever. Lord, please, if you're willing, God, help me. Make me clean. The only way to be clean from sin is to go through Jesus Christ. Verse 13. It says, Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. First off, Jesus was willing, but you've got to ask him. Um, you've got to come to him. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, he can't come in and dine with you and, and, and fellowship with you and, and bring the Father and, and introduce you to the Father. He can't do all those things that he said he, he could do except that you actually open the door. Just like with the ring example. You have to open the door to let Jesus in. That's your job. And then he will come into your life. Jesus could have healed the whole world in one second of all their physical ills, but he didn't. But everyone who came to him, he healed. Everyone who was brought to him. Everyone who was told of somebody in a remote area, he healed. And it's the same with salvation. And the Bible says that this leper was cleansed immediately and completely. That's a picture of the cross. In today's society, a lot of religions try to add to what Jesus did. Well, it's Jesus plus what we believe. It's Jesus plus these ceremonies. It's Jesus plus all these things. But we see from the scripture that Jesus heals immediately and Jesus cleanses completely. So you can't add to perfection. In verse 14, it says, And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. According to Leviticus 14, 1 through 32, there was a prescription, a ceremony, a thing that you had to do to go before the priest that he would have you do after the cleansing if you were miraculously cleansed. So Jesus, remember, he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it. And verse 15, then the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Mark 1.45 adds that Jesus could no longer open, uh, enter the city openly because the people just knew so much about him. They just, they just you know, uh, crowded him so much. Again, Peter worshipped the Lord. He confessed his sins and followed the Lord. And the leper came to the Lord, worshipped the Lord, and was healed by the Lord. What about you? Jesus came to this earth to fish for men and women to bring them into the kingdom of heaven. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what's holding you back? It's an eternal decision that has to be considered, preferably sooner than later.